don't just do the pronouns. Don't just do the rainbow on your door. It is important that not only the people that lead your company become LGBTQ competent, if you're going to provide services, ongoing training is critical. You can't just do a one and done program. It doesn't, you know, this is something that is ever evolving. There's so much depth of learning to it. You can't just take one class and hope that you're completely competent. This is something that needs to include all your staff, not just leadership, but the people that are making food or going to the homes or the nurses or the care staff or the housekeepers. If we're really providing person-centered care, we need to know people. And this is part of knowing people. This is what makes up our communities across the nation. Welcome to Aging in Style with me, Lori Williams. I'm an optimist by nature, and I believe you can follow your dreams at any age. My grandmother's journey with dementia ignited a passion in me to work with seniors. I've spent the past 13 years learning about seniors and aging. In my mid-50s, I followed my own dream and founded my company, where I use my expertise to help seniors locate housing and resources. On this podcast, we cover all aspects of aging. Join us each week to meet senior living experts and inspirational seniors who are following their dreams. The fact is, we're all aging, so why not do it in style? Hi, welcome to today's episode of Aging in Style. Today, we are talking about a very important topic. We are addressing LGBT older adults and dementia. As we know, age is the greatest risk factor for Alzheimer's disease, and an estimated 2.7 million LGBT people are over age 50. And on today's episode, we are going to talk about the greater health disparities that many of the LGBT people have, along with risk factors for their dementia. So, Today, we have Megan Rowe with the Alzheimer's Association. She is a Kansas native who received her bachelor's degree in psychology and fine arts from the University of Kansas. She then headed east and received her master's degree in creative arts therapy from Pratt Institute, where she began working with individuals with neurodegenerative disorders and cognitive impairments. After relocating to Dallas in 2010, she began directly working with families impacted by Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. And she's currently the Senior Program Manager for the Alzheimer's Association, Dallas and Northeast Texas Chapter. Megan's proven expertise is focused on quality education and support services for families, preserving dignity and enabling families and professionals to foster supportive environments throughout the disease process. You are a wealth of knowledge, Megan, and I'm so glad that you are here with us today. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this topic and I appreciate being invited to speak. Great. Okay. So I always like to ask people, what inspired you to work in senior living, to work with our seniors? So um, in my 20s, actually, my grandmother had a stroke, a series of small strokes, and it impacted her memory. She didn't recognize who I was the last time I saw her. And she didn't even recognize my dad, who's the youngest of many brothers and sisters. And at the time, I had never known anything like that. And I didn't know how to interact with her. And it kind of, you know, later looking back, I would now know how to work with her. But I just, it left a spot in me. And so I started working um, at an internship in New York City with people with dementia. And I just found my calling. And I think it was that inspiration of not knowing how to support her and and connect with her 
when she no longer knew who I was. And now I was able to connect with so many people in different ways um, that were impacted by something similar. So in my mid-20s, um, that's where I started my career working with seniors impacted by dementia. And I never left. I'm still here, although now I'm with the Alzheimer's Association. And um, that's kind of how I got my start. That's great. And you definitely have found your calling. You shared with me some great information on the Alzheimer's Association website. There's a fantastic um, infographic that kind of breaks down about Alzheimer's and LGBT community. But let's talk today, let's kind of get started with the facts and figures. We've shared this before on the podcast about the Alzheimer's Association that every March you come out with the 2022 facts and figures report. And so I know you've got some information from that report on Alzheimer's to share with us. Yeah, so I thought it was important to remember um, just how Alzheimer's disease impacts our communities across the nation. But I wanted to share that and remind everyone that more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's disease. Um, And by 2050, it's projected to reach nearly 13 million people or impact 13 million people. So there is no current cure for Alzheimer's disease. So that number is expected to reach 13 million unless we find a cure. There is research going on across the globe currently, um, but again, we don't have a cure yet. So with that, um, we need to consider all the impact it would have on our communities with the care that's being provided to those people that are currently living with dementia. Typically, there's about one and a half people per person with dementia in the community taking care of them. And those are unpaid family members and friends. So Alzheimer's disease doesn't really just affect the person living with the disease, but it really affects families. And so we have about 11 million Americans across the country also providing care for those people. We know that age is the greatest risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. And because we're focused on the LGBTQ community today, I wanted to share that there's an estimated 2.7 million LGBTQ people over the age of 50. So um, the LGBTQ community does present different and unique challenges when it comes to accessing care. I did want to ask you about SAGE and to kind of identify who they are. So could you tell us about SAGE and how they work with the Alzheimer's Association? Yeah, so thank you, Lori. I am going to be referencing the LGBTQ issues brief um, provided by the Alzheimer's Association in partnership with SAGE. SAGE is one of our national partners, and SAGE actually stands for Services and Advocacy for LGBTQ Elders. It is America's oldest and largest nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender older adults, focusing on aging issues within the community. So it's really important when you are starting to consider LGBTQ um, competent um, resources and services that you include the community in the design of those resources. So we partner with them nationally, and we've developed this publication that you can find on our website, ALZ.org. Great. So tell us some of the challenges that affect the LGBTQ community. So, I mean, obviously, with aging, there is ageism. We've talked about that many times, but then we add in the additional layer to this being LGBTQ. So, what challenges do they see in addition to just ageism? So, the LGBTQ community may face just unique challenges, I guess, when it comes to adding a dementia diagnosis on top of aging in general. Finding inclusive and welcoming healthcare providers can be difficult. Finding the right support can be difficult. 
less ability to call upon adult children for assistance. Concerns about stigma, you know, Alzheimer's disease and dementia has its own stigma around it in general. Fears of discrimination. So that would, um, again, go back to support. It can delay access to to care, to getting a diagnosis. 40% of the LGBTQ community that were surveyed here say their healthcare providers don't know their sexual orientation. Hmm. So that can be a challenge in accessing care. Higher rates of poverty, which can in turn provide lack of resources for the community. Alzheimer's is the most expensive disease in the nation. And 51% of LGBTQ older adults report being very concerned about having enough money to live on. Can you imagine adding a dementia diagnosis to that? No, I can't. (laughs) We talked a little bit about not maybe having family supports. Mm -hmm. So there's higher rates of social isolation as well. 40% report that their social networks have become smaller over time as they age. 34% live alone. So when you're starting to think about a dementia diagnosis, the safety or just living at home in isolation, that Mm -hmm. can be very challenging for Mm -hmm. the community or a person in general. Yeah, absolutely. Additionally, research shows that LGBTQ people have greater health disparities, many of which are risk factors for dementia. So depression, obesity, higher uses of alcohol and tobacco, lower rates of prevention or preventative screening, cardiovascular disease, those can increase your risk for developing dementia. So all these things combined together create more challenges for the LGBTQ community to face Alzheimer's disease Mm -hmm. or dementia or other even health issues as we age. So what are some of the things that y'all have come up with the Alzheimer's Association ways to help? Right. So it wouldn't be helpful to know all that information without knowing maybe some possible solutions to support the community. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So we work with SAGE and came up with some recommendations because of these unique challenges. Mm -hmm. It's really important that we take a sober and realistic view of these challenges, but we do need to recognize the strength of the community, the resilience, the Mm -hmm. ability to create community in the face of of adversity. You know, the LGBT community has overcome a lot and fights a lot for rights, Mm -hmm. for the right to marry, the right to be recognized, many different things. The AIDS epidemic, caregiving doesn't start in age. Caregiving became a vital role of the LGBTQ community in the 80s. So caring for our own is a concept that is just common within the LGBTQ community. As researchers, providers, advocates, and caregivers, there are many things we can do to create a world where LGBTQ people living with dementia receive the respectful and competent care they deserve. But they're divided up in two categories. So we're going to be talking a little bit about including LGBTQ people in dementia-related services and then enhancing dementia and caregiving services in LGBTQ organizations. You know, I was sharing with you earlier, last year, I had interviewed the LGBT Coalition for Aging, I believe, and we'll share that podcast in our notes too, so that anyone listening can go back and listen to that one. But the thing that really stood out to me, and I still remember this so vividly a year later, is that the gentleman I spoke with, his name is Robert, he said that what is so like heartbreaking is that there are so many seniors who are so many LGBTQ people who fought so hard 
to get rights, like you were saying, right to marry, right, all the different things they did just to be out of the closet and to be accepted. And now they're aging and maybe have dementia or maybe not, but as they're aging, they're having or they feel that they have to go back into the closet because they feel that they're going to be discriminated against. They're not going to get the same care that someone who was not LGBTQ would get. And that is just absolutely heartbreaking to to see that these people who fought so hard for rights for everyone else, and now in their older years, they're not getting the support. So I, I love that the Alzheimer's Association and SAGE have put together these talking points, basically ways that we can help people so that they don't have to go back in the closet because that is just, that's terrible. That should not happen. To expand on that a little bit, you know, it might be a choice to go back in the closet for fear of discrimination Mm -hmm. within a care setting or, you know, someone with dementia might not be oriented to time. So they may think the year and time period that they're currently in might be back when they're in their 20s and maybe not out yet. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Personal stories can go a long way with helping to provide person-centered care. The caregiving staff or say you're in a a different service provider trying to think outside of senior living, that's my automatic go-to. But (laughs) if you're providing care in home or someone or physical therapy, it's important to know the person you're working with. So again, we'll talk a little bit about that, but that's just one example of an experience for people that are within the community and do have to maybe go transition into a care home because mm-hmm. they do need that extra level of care. But training is going to become you know, extremely important for not only the administration staff, but the ongoing training for care staff. Mm-hmm. So we really need to expand our definition of family. Often when people say the word family, they mean nuclear family or biological or legal family. That can be problematic for LGBTQ people that don't have a relationship with their family of origin or may have strained relationships. Many don't have children or even a partner sometimes. So LGBTQ people may have a chosen family or family of choice, you might hear, who provide them with care and support or might even just be the friend that might be the power of attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not be a sister or a, a biological connection. And that can be a bias sometimes for people going that work in the industry without even realizing it. So when discussing family members or other supports, consider using terms like network of support, chosen family, loved ones. Make it clear that family does not necessarily mean family of origin or children or partner. That can be affirming for an LGBT person as a provider. Using LGBTQ affirming language is also really important. Don't be shy to use the term LGBTQ. Be comfortable and confident in saying lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Publicize your commitment to welcoming people of diverse sexual orientations and gender identities. Note the word, this is really important to say. Transgender is an adjective, not a noun. So you want to say transgender man or woman or person, not transgenders or transgendered. Getting familiar with terminology, Lori, is really important Mm -hmm. in being a great ally. If you're a business provider, you can put your pronouns in your email signature or on your brochures, wherever your name might be, to kind of quietly share that you acknowledge and it's a validation for the community to share your own pronouns as well. 
I will say it's taken, it's had a little getting used to for me. I do have, you know, college age kids. So they started, you know, talking about the pronouns thing. You know, it's a little different and it takes a little, like I tell them, it's going to take a minute if you're over 50 to kind of get into sharing with pronouns and using them and their as a pronoun as well. But I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that's really important language because, you know, people who are in their probably late 50s, 60s, 70s, if they're not around younger people hearing, you know, how how this is working, they're, they're not going to be familiar with it. So, explain a little more about how pronouns, and, and that's just really come up in the last couple of years, right? Or- I think it might be more out in the public, yeah. but I think pronouns are have been a really important part of people's identity and expressing mm-hmm. their identity. And so when you express your own identity, mm-hmm. um, even if you're cisgendered, if you identify with the gender you were born with. Um, what is that or, called again? I didn't, I didn't even know that term. Cisgendered? cisgendered if you identify with the, the biological gender that you were born with, basically, <laughs> if you share your own pronouns, it's a sign. It can be like a, light, a nice little marker or a sign that shows that you're accepting of the community or you're welcoming of the community and you, res- not respect, but you... Well, yeah, respect, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a validating, trustful source for supporting the community. Yeah. And that's interesting because I did not know that that was like a signal, basically. I didn't know that. Because like my daughter, like on her Instagram, she has she, her. And, you know, at first my husband and I are like, well, yeah, you know, because I mean, we weren't understanding. But now I understand that is like telling people, letting them know basically like you're an ally. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's a sign that shows that you are welcoming to the community. It's like putting a pride sticker in your window and at your business. It's just like a little sign that can be welcoming. Okay. You know, you want to go beyond the sign. You want to go beyond the pronouns on your signature. You definitely want to to be competent in, in doing the training and understanding, especially if you're not part of the community, because there's just so many different things to consider when you're talking about providing competent services. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's just one way that you yeah. can show you're an ally. And I think that there's a lot of social media sites that are including that now. I know LinkedIn mm-hmm. has it. Like you said, Instagram has it. I don't remember seeing it on Facebook, but yeah, it's just a, a sign I, that... Yeah, I put inclusive. it in your bio. Yeah. yeah. I, think it's, I think it's really good. Honestly, I'm getting kind of stuck on the pronoun thing, but I think it's really good because a lot of our listeners are 50 and up. And just speaking for someone <laughs> who is in that age group, it took a minute for me to figure out what's going on, you know, and luckily I have college age kids, like I said, who've explained it to me, but they didn't tell me that there's a reason behind it and that you are sort of like sending out that signal that, yes, I am respectful of who you are. So I think that's really good to know. I just had like my little light bulb moment there. <laughs> I mean, and you don't want to assume someone's um, pronouns. So it's helpful when people do share their pronouns. Exactly. A lot of education programs where we introduce ourselves with our names and pronouns, and it's just helpful for the room. Don't feel bad because my mom was asking me about it too. And I just had to, to share that with her. I'm much yeah. older than your children though, but just so you know. <laughs> okay, we'll go off topic of the of the language, but terminology is a lot more important than I think people realize mm-hmm. at the surface level. And there's some great videos out there on YouTube to learn about 
terminology. So I'd encourage people to look that up if they want to get more comfortable and confident on speaking to the terminology aspects. Okay, so we'll go on to engaging the LGBT specific outreach. Again, it's one thing to say you're competent or that you have your rainbow on your door, but Mm -hmm. consider participating in the community. Building trust is a two-way, you can't just provide services and hope that everybody's going to show up. Investing in the community and building those relationships, it's not a one-time thing that you can do. There's depth of relationship that that really needs to be explored by supporting the community. And you can do that very easily. We're based in DFW. We have a huge pride event in June. It's coming back this year. You know, we couldn't do it because of the pandemic the last few years is my understanding, but it's going to be at Fair Park and they have resource tables. They have opportunities for places to get involved and sponsorship and all those sorts of things. So there's definitely things you can do to to help support the community. The Coalition for Aging LGBT, mm-hmm. like you referenced previously, they just had an education summit. They had sponsorship opportunities available. They support the aging LGBT community in our area. SAGE has um, chapters across the nation, and they have volunteer opportunities. So there's many ways that you can get involved, whether it's sponsorship or even just volunteering. Mm -hmm. Uh, We mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of people live in isolation, the aging LGBT community. Well, SAGE has a program where you can be a buddy to someone, like a phone call, a weekly phone call. Well, you have to go through a vetting process, but you can do that if you want to provide that connection to someone that's really, you know, it's really needed when people are in isolation. So those are just some examples of engaging within the community, incorporating LGBTQ people into your marketing materials. And I'm going to go beyond this because LGBTQ people should be represented in the discussions of planning outreach, planning events, planning services, planning Education training, yes, in part of your marketing materials, if you as an individual aren't represented in any sort of marketing materials that a company is trying to sell you, especially care, how do you know you're going to be cared for the way that the people are that are reflected? So take that into consideration when you're looking for affirming safe places to be cared for. Well, and I I will say I see a lot of senior living, senior housing marketing material, and I can't think of any where I've seen an LGBTQ couple represented. But there may be some out there, so I apologize if you have done that, and I just don't know. But I thinking of all the you know ones that I've seen, like even for like home care, home health, hospice, anything at all, and I don't recall seeing any. Yeah, I think that's true for beyond senior services as well. Diversifying services. America is very diverse. I Mm -hmm. mean, we have to get beyond our generic marketing materials and stock images. There is a market there and a need for diversifying programs and things Mm -hmm. across the nation. So I don't think it's unique just to this industry, but we could definitely improve for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we did talk a little bit about educating your staff. And I cannot tell you how critical this is. Don't just do the pronouns. Don't just do the rainbow on your door. It is important that not only the people that lead your company become LGBTQ competent. If you're going to provide services, ongoing training is critical. You can't just do a one and done program. It doesn't, you know, you, this is something that is ever evolving. There's so much depth of learning to it. You can't just take one class and 
hope that you're completely competent. This is something that needs to be ongoing and it needs to include all your staff, not just leadership, but the people that are making food or going to the homes or the nurses or the care staff or the housekeepers. If we're really providing person-centered care, we need to know people. And this is part of knowing people. This is what makes up our communities across the nation. And SAGE actually offers really great cultural competency training. I highly recommend it. The Alzheimer's Association's used it. Um, now we work together. They've pro- they provide us with kind of like personalized training for our organization and everybody takes it. And we'll really share that website for Sage. Yeah. I know you have it here. So we'll be sure to sh- share that at the end of the podcast so people can find that as well. Yeah. And understanding the history of the LGBTQ experience, I think is really important to understanding why care can be so challenging or support can be so challenging for the community. And they really do a great job of covering that. Mm-hmm. This recommendation is find or create a support group specifically for LGBTQ caregivers and LGBTQ people living with dementia. So that was a mouthful. But essentially, it's really important to have LGBT-specific programming. We're talking about support groups here. But it's also important that LGBTQ people also feel welcomed in other outreach activities or programs. So it can be really helpful to have this LGBTQ identified support group. We do have one. It meets on Zoom. So anyone can join from across the country that needs a caregiver support group, dementia specific, and it meets the fourth Sunday of each month at 7 p.m. Central Time. Lori, I'll, I'll give you that information in case there's anybody here that is listening or knows someone that could benefit from that. But it's a great way to really connect and go over those challenges and make connections and support mm-hmm. yourself through this journey. Yeah. We talked earlier about how it takes one and a half people to care for a um, family member with dementia. And not everybody has one and a half people to do that. So getting support for yourself is really important. We also have an online support I, group. I do think it's great that you do, through the Alzheimer's Association, have a specific group, a specific support group, because anyone LGBTQ or caregiver for someone should feel comfortable going to any support group, but to have one that's specifically, because there are, I'm sure, specific questions and concerns and things that come up that are specific to LGBTQ. So to be able to be in an environment with other people and ask those questions, they probably feel more comfortable to bring up certain things and probably get some good advice from people who are in the same position. Is that what you what you see in these groups? Yeah, and I would say one of the best things about a caregiver support group is that no one knows what it's like to go through and care for someone with dementia other than people that are doing it. Mm-hmm. So the validation you feel from a support group you are not alone. And it's no more clear than that unless you attend a support group. So when you're talking about validation within an LGBTQ caregiver supportive environment, you're going to receive that validation as that, you know, those experiences and the relatability between each other and realizing you really aren't alone because there's other people going through this and they offer their own unique perspectives and Mm -hmm. um, they work through challenges. And so, yeah, it's a really beautiful thing. It's like, you know, we train volunteers to facilitate these support groups and it's one of the most instantly gratifying volunteer experience because you're directly helping people right then and there. Wonderful. 
So there's also a, a message board online if people want to connect that way and ask questions, kind of like an old school forum that we mm-hmm. used to use <laughs> online before Facebook. It's allsconnected.org and we'll make sure Lori has that website. Um, but there is a message board specific for the LGBTQ community and allies. So you can look up questions. That's kind of the unique thing about the message board is that you can look up what's already been discussed and see what kind of solutions people have. And we're ask your own and it can be completely anonymous. Um, If there's anyone listening that doesn't know about any organizations in your community, just do a quick Google search. We have an LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce in Dallas. Um, We have Lambda Legal, which is experts in legal everything for the LGBTQ community. Um, I'm sure there's other organizations I can think of too. And they're a great resource to not only know, but to develop relationships with so that you know, you're learning more about the community and building things together, building outreach services together. So definitely recommend that. And many LGBTQ people turn to one another for recommendations for support. Mm -hmm. So if you become a trusted organization within the community, they're going to look to you for support when they need that service or that thing, you know, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Collect information on sexual orientation and gender identity, collecting demographic information. You know, we get this question a lot because we ask a lot of demographic questions Mm -hmm. on our registration process and stuff like that. But if you don't collect that information, you don't know who you're serving. You don't know if there's any gaps in services and you don't know the differences between what people need. So when you see those demographic surveys out there, please fill them out because it really shows us as agencies, organizations, medical providers, or, you know, any kind of someone that needs to take an intake form, who we're serving and how we can do a better job, who we're not serving. I'm glad Um, you said that because, you know, a lot of times when I fill out forms, I'm like, why do they want to know this? You know, and I don't really think beyond that, but that makes sense that they need that information to know how to better serve people. And that's, I'm sure, how the Alzheimer's Association realized that they needed to come up with more programming for the LGBTQ community because of the demographic information you were collecting. Exactly, Lori. Those things show us who we're taking care of and who we're not. And so we work harder at expanding our reach um, by, you know, targeting different partners and relationships and knowing we needed to do better in different areas and knowing that there's disparities and looking at those. And it's just information to help us serve. And I'm sure that medical providers and other types of organizations, that information is telling to us um, of who we're serving. So it's really important to also include the sexual orientation and gender identity on those demographic forms, um, because you, you need to know if you're reaching the community. Okay, so that was all about the first category of recommendations, including LGBT people and dementia-related services. The next one is enhancing dementia and caregiving services in LGBTQ organizations. We talked a little bit about ageism. You've mentioned it. Um, So recognizing the role of ageism in LGBTQ communities is really important. Many LGBT communities are focused more on youth than they are on older community members. Internalized ageism may exacerbate the stigma of Alzheimer's or dementia within the community. So it would make it more difficult for an adult to seek a diagnosis or support. So you're saying that, I mean, because the community is more, like you said, more about youth, that they don't want to 
admit that they're having dementia, that they're more likely to kind of cover it up? Is that what you're saying before they don't want to get a diagnosis? There is a lot of support within the LGBT community that's focused on youth and supporting youth. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that does, I think that goes beyond in my perception, the LGBTQ community as well. Um, when focusing on child issues and things like that, that our aging population gets overlooked a lot. Mm-hmm. But within the community, you know, there's this, I think it was the CFA, the Coalition for Aging, that told me and shared with us at our last uh, conference that with the HIV and AIDS epidemic, a lot of LGBTQ members weren't aging. They were passing away before they could age. And so aging is kind of, yeah, so aging is kind of this like, not new concept, But there weren't a lot of aging folks, Um, like aging related issues has a whole new different meaning and focus now because during the HIV AIDS crisis, people were passing away before they could age. Mm -hmm. And so there's that layer to it as well. That makes sense. Uh, And then prior to that, people were really in the closet. I mean, people didn't really talk about it as much. It wasn't very open. So that does make sense. And that, again, goes back to history <laughs> and, yeah, and knowing your history. Know, sure. Yeah, exactly. There's all these like multi-level layers of things that contribute to um, these issues and challenges. And we know that Alzheimer's disease and dementia is, there's a stigma around that in general mm-hmm. and not wanting to face that, or it's not dementia. It's, you know, she's just forgetful. It's her mm-hmm. old age or it's something else. You know, it's uh, what do they used to call it? Senile. You're being yeah. senile. Well, mm-hmm. we know that, Alzheimer's dementia is not a normal part of aging and um, losing your memory to the point where it's impacting your daily life is a sign of Alzheimer's disease or dementia. So getting to your doctor and getting those cognitive assessments done is really important. But, you know, there is this ageism within the LGBT community, which I imagine will evolve, will have to evolve because these issues of aging and the aging population continues to grow. And so will the population of LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. So encourage education around early detection and diagnosis, which we kind of just talked about. You know, there's, again, the stigma that goes back to it. And so getting ahead of preventative care and getting your annual wellness checks, making sure your doctor is doing your cognitive assessments that those Medicare pays for it. That should be something that everybody 65 and over is receiving when they go to their doctor for their annual wellness visit and learning about Alzheimer's disease, the 10 warning signs, learning about what it is and what it looks like so that you can get ahead before it progresses to a point where you're going to need emergency help as opposed to let's put plans in place now. Exactly. Yeah. I know you probably deal with that a lot in, in your line of work. Mm-hmm. I do. And it's it's much better if you have made some plans and made someone aware of what your wishes are. So helping plan for the future is the next one. Making sure that LGBTQ people and their families and loved ones have completed advanced directives. I'm sure that you've had the importance of advanced directives on your podcast before. If you haven't, Absolutely. <laughs> definitely a, a topic that's needed. But I've heard so many stories of people that did not have those in place. And it is just so detrimental to the family knowing how to fulfill wishes. And it's so difficult. And when you're talking about not having biological connection to someone or like maybe even a legal connection to someone, that makes it all the more difficult. So 
making sure your wishes are known through legal documents is really important. So that's part of that planning ahead. And providing referral services as an organization or a business or Lori, what you do Mm -hmm. to um, attorneys that have experience working with LGBTQ people. That's really important too. Locating caregiver respite or support groups, making sure existing groups are welcoming to LGBTQ people. So any respite programs out there, any day stay programs, um, support that would be provided to anyone, helping to make sure that they're welcoming to LGBTQ people. You know, that comes back to that competency we were talking about and training volunteers even to provide appropriate affirming services, even through volunteer work, partnering with your local organizations again, 10 Pride we talked about, that's really goes back to investing in the community, being part of the community, supporting the community. You can also have a Pride event in your own with your business. Mm-hmm. You have a senior service and have activities or say you don't want to go all the way to Dallas for the pride thing at Fair Park because it's so far away and there's traffic and it's this day of the week or whatever, you know, do it in your own community. Help get a local group of people together to plan a pride event in your community. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I've shared this before and my son is fine with me sharing it, but my my son is gay and he came out to me when he was about 14 years old. And I looked for people to talk to LGBTQ people and, you know, really sought them out so that I could understand more how to support my son and what his experience was. And I'm so thankful for that. But in doing that, I can tell you, I mean, in my little neighborhood alone, there's probably seven, eight families who have their kids the same age who are near same age are also have come out and, and are gay. And it's, it's nice to know that we can all support each other and everyone's more open about it now. But imagine 30 years ago and those people who were lived in that time who are in their 80s, 90s, that's why it, it's, it's harder for them, I think, to talk about. But I guess what I'm saying is odds are there were people, they were just in the closet. <laughs> you know, they had family members as well. To piggyback back off that, I guess I can share a real example of, and I didn't talk about it, but I do want to talk about the LGBT slash LGBTQ. You see in the aging population, the Q is not included. That's kind of changed over the years, but the Q in LGBTQ can be worn as a proud symbol and a proud word to use for our younger generations. Mm -hmm. But our older generations experienced that word is a slur, exactly. is a homophobic slur. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's really important to distinguish that for people because there is confusion on what to say or what, you know, letters to use. I'm um, glad you said that because I've wondered that myself because some things you see are LGBT and then sometimes you see it LGBTQ and you're like, I'm not sure. So I'm really glad that you said that because I've wondered that as well. But that makes perfect sense because I remember being in college in the 80s and the Q was a slur at that time. Like you would not, that was a a bad thing to call someone. So that's interesting that now they've like taken, I guess, ownership and, and pride of that, of that word. There's pride. And I think that there's the way you use your words too, but to expand on the whole like you know, idea of being closeted and, and being older and things. Um, I do have an example of someone she, you know, she never even identified as lesbian, the word gay, the word lesbian. She was much older. She was, and she's since passed, but she had two phone books. One was a regular phone book of people she knew. 
And one was a phone book for people like us. Mm-hmm. And that's how she would refer to people like us. And her primary caregiver was not a biological family member, but a very dear friend, mm-hmm. not a partner, but a very dear friend. And so that's where I wanted to share the LGBT, LGBTQ, people like us for older generations. Being closeted wasn't necessarily something to do by choice. It was something to do because of fear of many things, not mm-hmm. just discrimination, but there, you know, Hate there were crimes. repercussions. Yeah, there's repercussions for maybe being out. And, you know, I had met someone not too long ago who's kind of retirement age, and she shared that she had never been able to be out in her career. She was always closeted in her career because she worked in a smaller community in Texas and she didn't feel like she could be out as a gay woman. Those are real life experiences that can, you know, still happen. This is why terminology becomes really important. There are people that might identify personally, but aren't publicly identifying or only identify and share openly with certain people and not family, even biological family. Mm -hmm. So this was a really excellent topic to cover. I think there's so much more we could go into and talk about, and I hope there's opportunity for future discussions to further this, this topic, but um, I appreciate you having me on. And I, I appreciate all that you share because you've actually explained some things to me that I didn't know, I guess even how to ask the question or realize like, I didn't really realize there was anything beyond on the pronouns part and the, the terminology. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing all of this information. And, you know, education is what the show is about. One of the main things is to educate people on different topics. And I think this is the topic that we need to educate on. And um, I think you did a fantastic job. So thank you so much for sharing. Of course. And I guess the one thing I do want to end on is being a good ally is being a good ally, even when LGBTQ people are not in the room. So I wanted mm-hmm. to leave that with you. Um, it's something that's been shared with me and I, and I take it with me everywhere. So I wanted to share that with you. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. And then we'll make sure that we have all those websites you mentioned. Um, I think everything is on. I think you shared most of it with me. But if there's anything that you mentioned that you didn't, just make sure to give me the website and we will share all of that on the podcast in the notes section. Plus, we'll we'll be sharing social media graphics and things too, just to get the information out. But thank you for being on the show. And you're going to be our regular Alzheimer's spokesperson, I guess we'll say each month to talk about another, a different topic, a topic related to Alzheimer's. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So be thinking about what we're going to talk about next. (laughs) Okay, perfect. So thank you all for listening and please share this episode with your friends and family. You can find all of our episodes on my website, which is lauriwilliams-seniorservices.com. And we will be sharing all of the different websites that Megan shared with us. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 